0: Chapter Fifteen of Laramie Holds the Range by Frank Spearman This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Chapter Fifteen: The Raid of the Falling Wall. Against the alert, the effective blow is a sudden blow. Secrecy and a surprise were the only hope of success in what the cattlemen were now attempting in the Falling Wall. Of the men on whom they could count to organize and carry through such a raid, they had just one capable of energizing every detail, Harry Van Horn. Laramie, the man Doubleday and Pettigrew would have chosen, they had failed to enlist, and what was more serious, though this perhaps Doubleday did not realize, they had likewise failed to rid themselves of. Tom Stone had bungled. But Doubleday, in a special, was not a man to lose time over a failure. He knew that Van Horn had go enough in him to clean out a whole county, if he were given the men, and backing, and that he stood high in the councils of the range. When Van Horn spoke, men listened. His eye flashed with his words, and his long straight hair shook defiance at opposition. He swore with a staccato that really meant things and cut like a knife when once started mercy was not in him in the falling-wall park there lived a mere handful of men and these widely scattered but van horn was the last man to underestimate the handful he was after he knew them every one and knew no better men ever rode the range than stormy gorman dutch henry yankee robinson and abe hawk and their associates "'if, indeed, for a man that never mixed with other men, "'Hulk could be said to have associates. "'But the four named were the men to whom the lesser rustlers of the park looked, "'the men whose exploits they imitated, "'and these were the men on whose heads a price had, in effect, been set. "'Van Horn assembled his men earlier than Lefevre had been informed.' an old trail from doubleday's ranch to the falling wall crosses the road to the fort some distance north of sleepy cat the party from the ranch tom stone with some of the most reckless cowboys and doubleday waited there for the texans whom van horn was bringing from pettigrew's both parties were at the rendezvous that night by twelve o'clock and within thirty minutes were headed north by way of the crazy woman for falling wall park The night for the raid had been chosen the sky was overcast and when the party left the crossing between twelve and one o'clock their exact destination was still a secret to the greater number small ranchers along the creek might have wakened at the smart clatter of so many horses but men to and from the fort travelled late at night and made even more noise this night there were riders abroad but there was no singing Dawn was whitening the eastern sky when the raiding party halted near a clump of trees on the south fork of the turkey. The valley into which they had ridden during the night was very broken, but offered good grazing. Along the tortuous watercourse, Stormy Gorman, the old prize-fighter, and Dutch Henry, the ex-soldier, had preempted two of the very few pieces of land that did not stand directly on edge and built for themselves cabins gorman's cabin lay a mile above the fork where the raiders had halted henry's lay a few miles farther up the creek during the long night ride it had been decided to strike at gorman's ranch first thence to follow the creek trail up to dutch henry's dispatch him in turn to cross rapidly a narrow rough divide beyond which they could reach hawk's cabin on the east fork of the turkey and thence sweep into the northwest to clean out the smaller fry the chicken-feed rustlers as van horn called them but toward morning following much ill-natured dispute between stone and van horn the tactics were changed it was decided to go after dutch henry first as the more alert and slippery of the two and as quietly as possible the silent invaders rode slowly along the creek past gorman's place up to henry's day was breaking as the riders dismounting and leaving their horses on the creek bottom crept noiselessly under stone's guidance up a wash to the bench on which henry's cabin stood hiding just below a shallow bank at the head of a draw they lay awaiting developments where stone had posted them they commanded the cabin perfectly he had lived part of one year with henry when the two preyed jointly on the range and he knew the ground well they had hardly disposed of themselves in this manner and were beginning in the grey dusk to distinguish objects with some certainty when the door of the distant cabin opened and a mongrel collie bounded out followed by a man who left the door ajar the man carrying a water-pail set it down yawned stretched himself and tucked his shirt slowly inside his trousers. Wild with joy, the dog danced, leaped, and barked about his master, only to be rewarded by a kick that sent him yelping to a little distance, where, turning, crouching with extended paws, whining and frantically wagging his tail, the poor beast tried to beg forgiveness for its half-starved happiness. The man, giving this demonstration no heed, picked up the pail and started for the creek his path took him in a direction roughly parallel to the line along which his hidden enemy lay don't fire at that man exclaimed van horn to his companions under cover of the draw that's not dutch henry he whispered the next moment don't fire i'll take care of him the rustler quite unconscious of his deadly danger tramped unevenly on his dog no longer repulsed dashed joyously back and forth scenting the trails of the night and barking wildly at his master by turns the man was walking hardly three hundred yards from where stone rifle in hand lay and had reached the footpath leading from the bench to the creek bottom when stone half rising covered him slowly with point-blank sights In the path ahead the dog had struck a fresh gopher hole, and still yelping was pawing madly into it when a rifle cracked. The man with the pail swung violently half around by the shock of a spreading bullet, jerked convulsively, and the pail flew clattering from his hand. He struggled an instant to keep his footing, then collapsing, fell prone across the path, and lay quite still. Stone, followed by a man nearest him, scrambling down the draw, hurried along the creek bottom and ran up to reach the path where the murdered man lay. The dog, barking and dashing wildly around his prostrate master, spied the foreman and sprang furiously down the trail at him. Stone, rifle in one hand and revolver in the other, was ready and, firing from the hip, broke the collie's back. With a howl, the stricken brute turned, and, dragging his helpless hindquarters along the ground with incredible swiftness, pawed himself back to the dying man's head, and, yelping, licked frantically at the hand of his master. Coming up into plain sight, Stone got a good look at the man he had killed. "'Stormy Gorman!' he exclaimed with an oath of surprise. "'Who'd have thought?' he continued." THAT BIG BUM WOULD BE UP AT DUTCH HENRY'S THIS MORNING. THE OLD PRIZE FIGHTER WAS STRUGGLING IN HIS LAST ROUND. HIS HEAVY-LIDDED EYES, swollen WITH DRINK AND SLEEP, WERE CLOSED, AND FROM HIS MOUTH, AS HIS HEAD HUNG TO ONE SIDE, A DARK STREAM RAN TO A LITTLE POOL IN THE DUST. ONLY A stertorous BREATHING REFLECTED HIS EFFORT TO LIVE, AND EVEN THIS WAS FAST FAILING van horn hurried up the path from the bottom whither he had followed stone anger was all over his face kill that damned dog he exclaimed out of breath to those about him two of the three men drew revolvers and shot the collie through the head damnation cried van horn in a fury stop your shooting couldn't you knock him in the head "'You want to start up the whole country?' he demanded, "'as he saw the man who lay at his feet "'and had taken the brief count for eternity was Gorman. "'He turned on stone with rage in his eyes and his voice. "'Now,' he cried, punctuating his abuse with the fiercest gestures, "'you've done it, haven't you?' "'Anger almost choked him. "'You've got Gorman with a brass band "'and left Dutch Henry in the cabin waiting for us, haven't you?' why he roared didn't you obey orders let this tank get down to the bottom and knock him on the head into the creek a violent recrimination between stone and van horn followed but the milk was spilt as well as the blood of the stubborn rustler and there was nothing for it but new dispositions gorman's presence indicated that henry was at home if he were at home he was no doubt within the cabin But just how, after Stone's blunder, to get at him was a vexing question. Van Horn started down the foot-trail back to the bottom and around the first hiding-place. Lingering with a companion to look at Gorman in his blood, Stone turned for approval. See where I hid him? he grinned. Poor light, too. A brief council was held in the draw. Watched for more than an hour not the slightest sign of life about the lonely cabin could be detected. Various expedients, none of them very novel, were tried to draw Henry's fire should he be within. But these were of no avail. A dozen theories were advanced as to where Henry might or might not be. To every appearance there was not, so far as the enemy could judge, a living man within miles of the spot. The older heads, Pettigrew, Doubleday, Van Horn, even Stone, talked less than the others, but they were by no means convinced that the house was empty. One of the least patient of the cowboys at length deliberately exposed himself to fire from the sphinx-like cabin. He stood up and walked up and down the edge of the draw. Nothing happened. Emboldened, he started out into the open and toward the cabin. No shot greeted him. A companion, jumping up, hurried after him. A third, a Texas boy, sprang up to join them. For those watching from hiding, it was a ticklish moment. Toward the draw, there was a considerable growth of mountain bluestem, none of it very high and gradually shortening nearer the house. The three men were hastening through the grass, separated by intervals of perhaps fifty feet the foremost got within a hundred yards of the cabin door which still stood open as gorman had left it before van horn's fear of an ambush vanished he himself not to be too far behind his followers then rose to join the procession through the blue stem and the crack of a rifle was heard van horn with a shout of warning dropped unhurt into the draw but the last man of the three in the field stumbled as if struck by an axe of the two men ahead of him, the hindermost dropped into the grass and crawled snake-like back. The man in front dropped his rifle and started at top speed for safety. From the edge of the draw his companion sent a fusillade of rifle fire at the cabin. Apparently, the diversion had no effect on the marksman within. He fired again, this time at the Texan crawling in the blue stem, and the half-hidden man, almost lifted from the ground by the blow of the bullet, "'Dropped limp. "'Meantime, the first cowboy in his dash for safety "'was making a record still unequaled in Mountain Story. "'He jumped like a bronco and zigzagged like a darting bird, "'but faster than either. "'The efforts of his companions to divert attention from him "'were constant. "'Some of them poured bullets at the cabin.' others jumped to their feet and yelling sprang from point to point to expose themselves momentarily and draw the fire of the enemy this was of no avail the hidden rifle with deliberate instancy cracked once more the fleeing cowboy slammed as if by a club dashed on but his right arm hung limp no snipe ever made half the race for life that he put up in those fleeting seconds and by his agility he earned then and there the nickname of the bird itself for before the deadly sights could cover his flight again he threw himself into a slight depression that effectively hid him from the range of the enemy a swarm of hornets roused could not have been more furious than the company under the lee of the draw shooting shouting cursing deep and loud they made continual efforts to keep the deadly fire off their fallen companions. They saw the half-open door of the cabin swing now slowly shut, and they riddled it with bullets. They splintered the logs about it, and scattering in as wide an arc as they dare, continued to pour a fire into the silent cabin. At intervals, they paused to wait for a return. There was no return all ruses they had ever heard of they tried over again to draw a fire and exhaust the besieged man's ammunition nothing moved the lone enemy if he were indeed alone the day wore into afternoon by shouting the assailants learned that two of their three hapless companions lying in the blue stem were still alive the snipe very much alive as his stentorian answers indicated he called vigorously for water but got none his refuge was too exposed how to get rid of dutch henry taxed the wits of the invaders the whole morning and the early afternoon went to potluck firing from the trench along the draw but although it was often asserted that henry must long since be dead having returned none of the shooting that was meant to call his fire No one manifested the curiosity necessary to prove the assertion by closing in on the cabin. Stone was still sulking over Van Horn's sharp talk of the morning when Van Horn came over to where the foreman had posted himself to cover the cabin door. We've got to get that guy before dark, Tom, or he'll slip us. All right, replied Stone. Get him. End of chapter Fifteen.